Morning, how's everybody doing? Woo! Welcome to City Light. My name is Nate, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, thankful to be able to get the preach the word of God to you this morning. Um, if you're new, please fill out the connect card that's on your seat or on the seat next to you uh, so that we can get to know you a little bit better, help you in your spiritual journey, whatever that might be. Um, hey, look, today we are finishing our core values kind of overview series. What are we about? Going back to kind of who are we? Always remembering to connect the dots in our lives. Remember two big reasons for this that are very important. Uh, our one, we need to be on the same page. Remember, we've done this a few times now. You can be in the same, per- like same book, not on the same page. Uh, and so we don't want that to be as a church. We want to be same church, same page, moving together in alignment. This is very important for us so that we can stay unified. The second is, uh, the most important is that these are just scriptures about being more like Jesus and living the life God has called us to. So uh, these are seven ways in which we can be obedient to live the kind of life God wants us to live. So today we're finishing with our last three, and they are these three. We are the light of the world. We are all in this together, and we are servants first. So these are the three that we'll finish with today. Uh, as we kind of close up our summary of the seven core values. Remember that on YouTube or podcast, there is a detailed sermon for each value. So if you want to go deep on each one, that is there. Uh, and like I said, we're doing an overview of these over these last three weeks just to kind of give us a bird's eye view of who we are and what we want to be. Now, really today, I want us to understand a principle of how the right attitude leads to the right action. How the right attitude leads to the right action. The goal of uh, a church or really any good teacher or any institution in which is trying to form people is not behavior modification that through a force of will or through any other tactic we would alter behavior, but that as a church joining with the Holy Spirit we seek internal transformation that leads to external living. All right? Well, this is something we must really understand because so often you feel and I feel and we feel like, okay, I'm supposed to go do something different or I'm supposed to go live in a different way, which is certainly part of the deal. Uh, but any, any parent knows this, that as you try to train your children, you're not going to get very far if all you're doing is correcting bad behavior without forming the person. You have to form the attitude. You have to form the way of thinking. You have to form the internal aspect of a human being so that they can begin to change external behavior and the things that they are doing. Uh, This is true in schools in every possible environment uh, where we do this right, where we say we need to work on the inward person so that the external behavior begins to match up with who they are becoming on the inside. And as we think about being a light in the world, And as I was thinking through these three ideas and these three scriptures uh, that kind of go with these ideas that we've placed them together, uh, I really landed on the fact that the emphasis of the message needs to be on the servant heart because of this. Being a light in the world and being unified as a church starts with being humble in the heart. Okay, how do we live as a light in the world and how do we stay unified as a church? Okay, there's so many things we could talk about today, so many wonderful things Uh, that we could discuss. You know, we've talked before about the idea of a light. This is very important, right? That light is made for darkness. You don't turn your iPhone on when you go outside and it's sunny outside, okay? That's not what you do. You don't don't try to figure it out. No, it's light out, okay? You don't need it. 
And God calls Christians the light of the world, which means that we are made for dark places. This is literally what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to be afraid of them or back away from them. We're supposed to enter into them. We are the light of the world. Therefore, we exist to enter into dark and hard places for the sake of the cause of Jesus. This is not radical or super Christianity. This is normal, baseline, just regular Christian behavior. I'm a light. I am made for the darkness. I cannot sit comfortably in the light when I'm supposed to go to a place of darkness. Okay, that's for all of us to say this is the kind of person we are supposed to be and become. This is what it looks like to be the light of the world. Now, as I was thinking about the light of the world concept, uh, yesterday when we were uh, at a baseball game, okay, it was like 60 degrees outside, which is nice, unless there's no sun, all right? So it'd be really cloudy, and everybody would be like this. They'd be shivering, get down to like 50 degrees, and everybody's trying to play baseball, and everybody's cold, and they got their hoodies up, and the wind is blowing. Uh, And then, you know, the kids would be like, I'm cold. You know, and they're complaining. Uh, and then, you know, it's like, you're playing baseball, you got to be tough, right? You got to be tough. And, and then all of a sudden, the sun would come out, you know? And it'd be like, ha! Ah, and everybody just, all of a sudden, it's like they're at the beach. It changes instantly. Everybody feels good. The sun's shining down upon us. Everybody's happy. They're smiling. Nobody's shivering. Uh, that's what I, that's the concept that is supposed to be for Christians as well, is that we bring light to the world. Uh, and the other way that people think about light is this. I want you, this is very important so that we don't act the wrong way as a church because see a lot of, a lot of Christians being crazy out there, okay? We don't want to do that. Is the, uh, the, uh, there's another way to be a light, and you guys know this way, is when you stumble into the bathroom at 2 o'clock in the morning and you flip the light on, you know, and you, ha, you know, and you like freak out or whatever, you know, like you just, you stumble around and you're just not, and the light comes on and you, you know. Or, you know, maybe those of you who are this, or when I was younger, my kids would, my, my parents would walk in, and they'd to wake me up. That's what I do with my 13-year-old, just to wake her up. I flip the light on and go, ah, you know, like, hey. Uh, and it's like, ah, you know, okay? It's kind of like a gotcha light, like, whoa, gotcha, like, here we go. Uh, that is not the kind of light Christians are supposed to be. Let me just clarify. The point is not to turn the light on and say, gotcha. Look at your sin, gotcha. Look at how your sin destroyed your life, Gotcha. Look at you stumbling around. Gotcha. You know, that's not it. The, not is the, the point is never to prove ourselves right or to flip the light on in such a way that makes people stumble. And that's how I think sometimes it gets kind of out there in the world is like there's this gotcha light and like we just the light of the world. But the point is to make you go, ha, ah! you know, that's not it. The point of a Christian being a light is like when the sun starts to go on a group of people and it becomes a blessing and it warms them up. Okay. So we're not the gotcha light people. That's not the point, all right? Uh, we are just as messed up as anybody else on planet Earth, and every person in here knows the Lord testify, say, I'm a complete and utter mess. And so it is only by the grace of God that I am what I am. And so we are, we are called to be the light of the world, uh, and that's very important for us. Now, how do we actually get to that point is this idea of being humble in the heart, all right? So I'm going to look at Mark 10. So go ahead and open your Bible to Mark chapter 10. All right, and we're going to read a passage where Jesus emphasizes the need for humility and a servant spirit. Uh, And I want to preface this message now by saying, I love you, and the Holy Spirit does too, and he might have some business to do in your heart this morning. Uh, It was Thursday morning, and I was here just really in the middle of this and just utterly wrecked before the Lord considering how far off I am sometimes from the actual way God wants to live, uh, from being a real servant with real humility and how much room I have 
to grow to become like Jesus, and I think all of us will feel that way uh, as we kind of see the standard of Jesus for the way we're supposed to live our lives, which is radically, utterly, completely upside down and different than the things you're taught every day from everywhere else in the world. So look at this, uh, chapter 10, verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It's a great starting question, you know. It's one of those passive-aggressive things. It's like, you know, let me just throw this out there and see what you say, and then I'll flip my response to that. Like, just tell me straight out, all right? And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? You will uh, baptize, baptize. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and said this, this is the kingdom way of living. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, being Jesus himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And here's this phrase that we're going to stick on today, is this not so with you. Jesus says, this is how the world works around you, but let it not be so among you. Here is how you are being discipled by the world every day to think about power, but let it not be so among you. Here's how the world thinks about influence, status, and success. But, here's, but let it not be so among you. Here's what the world thinks is important. But let it not be so among you. Here's how the world uses authority and control and influence. But let it not be so among you. How do we actually live the life that God has called us to live? It seems to be at the very essence of pursuing a servant heart. It seems to be that Jesus is saying that a servant heart is the distinguishing mark between the world and the Christian. He doesn't talk about anything about what they believe, which obviously is very important to this discussion. But he's, he's, he's hammering down on something to say the distinction between how the world works and how my people work is by this one little phrase, a servant's heart. That's the distinguishing mark between the world and the people of God is cultivating a servant heart like Jesus. Therefore, a major aspect of our sanctification of those of you who know the Lord are trying to become more like Jesus is to go from being selfish to being more of a servant. And this is where we all need to grow. Every single one of us needs to continue to grow from moving from selfishness to servanthood. Now, the idea is the more that I do that, the more I become like Jesus. The more I become like Jesus, the more I live like Jesus, which is going to help me actually be the light in the world I'm supposed to be. 
So how do we get to that point? How do we get to the point where we're actually helpful in the world? How do we get to the point where we actually shine as a light? Like not just an idea, not just a great thing to say, but an actual helpful light in the world. How do we, how do, we do that as a people? How do I do that in my family and in my neighborhood? And it would seem to be a great pathway that Jesus is laying out for us is the difference you're going to make in the world is going to be related to living out the differences of your faith that you ought to pursue being a servant. And so this move from selfishness to servanthood is the the way we become more like Jesus, and it's also the way we shine as lights in the world, and it is the way that we stay unified. So if we're all in this together and we want to be light, then we must have this aspect that we are servants first. So I'm going to show you seven different ways we move from selfishness to servanthood that Jesus lines out in this passage that will hopefully help us join in Jesus, becoming more like him. Uh, And those of you who are here or watching online that you don't know the Lord, you're seeking these things out in terms of Christianity, I want you to see ultimately, and as we're going to see, the very heart of Jesus. What is the God of Christianity? What is Jesus like? Uh, Who would you be following? That's what I want you to hear and understand uh, in terms of what is going on here, that you may not only believe and understand the way of Jesus, but that you may fall in love with and be enamored with the person of Jesus and the way that he wants us to live our lives, uh, which is dramatically distinct from every other thought or process or or culture in the world. So these are the seven things. These are what we're going to write down. The first is this. A selfish heart seeks its own glory, but a servant heart seeks the glory of God. What's the first way we kind of hear and see about A selfish heart seeks its own glory. That's the mark of selfishness. It's my own glory. But a servant heart seeks the glory of another, namely the glory of God. As we saw, James and John, it says, sons of Zebedee, they came up to him. He said, what do you want, teacher? We want you to do whatever we ask. He says, what do you want me to do? And they said, give us glory is basically what they said. Make us prominent is what they said. Give us status. Make us the top dogs, you know? Like, we, we want to be awesome, you know? Would you give us success? Would you give us prominence? Would you give us authority? Would you give us status? Uh, And I love this aspect of the story because it's so relatable to those of us who do love God and who are always uh, conflicted in our motivations and ambitions because we're obviously not perfect and nothing we do is done with perfect purity Uh, because they say, grant us to sit at your right and your left in your glory. So it's like there's a recognition that Jesus is the one who's going to receive the glory, but there's also some selfish ambition that we'd be right there with you. You know, it's like, yeah, you're the man, Jesus, and can we be man number two and man number three, you know? You're man number one, and so there's 12 disciples, and we don't want to be number 12, you know, or 11. That's that's at the bottom. We want to be the number one disciple, number two disciple, uh, and you get the glory, you know? And so I think I've shared this example before. You're trying to think about this. It's like in my own heart where you're preaching a sermon and you're always like, God, I want you to be glorified. And I also hope they think I'm a good preacher at the same time, you know? It's like, yeah, get the glory and just come on, just give me a little bit, you know? I just, yeah, come on, I just want you way up there and I'll just be like right here, you know? Like, here's Jesus, that's cool. You're up there, I'm not you. 
But if I could be like right here, that would be great, you know? This is, the, this is what we struggle with, you know, to say, you say this, say, Lord, won't you be glorified and may I also be the most respected person at work, you know? Like, can, I, can they think I'm awesome and I'm the best boss in the world, you know? Like, these things. So we're, we're, and that's, that's what he's getting at, you know? And sometimes we can have some false humility because we do give God the glory, but we're like James and John, we want the second and third seats. You're willing to give God the glory, but you're not willing to go lower than another person. You see where that gets at? To say, yeah, I give God the glory, but I'm not going to go lower than you. (laughs) I give God the glory, but I'm not 11 or 12 or 13. I got to be two or three. There's this mixed ambition going on here where they're willing to say, God, you get the glory, but they're not willing to submit or to serve another person. And how often that can be true in our own hearts where we say, yeah, God, we want to give you the glory. Then God says the way you do that is to serve the people in your life. Do you want to, you really believe that I deserve the glory? Well, then go make yourself lower than everyone around you. Don't ask for seat two and three, and I'm number one. Don't even ask for a seat at all. Just love and serve people. So a selfish heart seeks its own glory but a servant heart seeks the glory of God. So a heart that is moving from selfishness to servanthood will continually grow in its ability to authentically say, not my will, but yours be done. It'll continue to grow in an authentic, real response that says, not to us, not to us, as Psalm 115 says, but to your name give the glory. A person that is moving from selfishness to servanthood will genuinely love the glory of God and will love it so much that they're willing to be unglorified themselves. You know what I'm saying? You love the glory of God so much that you're willing to be despised yourself. You love the glory of God so much that you're willing to be overlooked yourself. You love the glory of God so much that you're willing to release authority, influence, and control. It's you love it so much that it has practical influence in your life. So to say I love the glory of God, but not be willing to serve, submit, or release authority and control, or put yourself lower than others is a contradiction. And that's what Jesus is getting at in their own lives, to say, okay, I want you to see where you're really at. So that's the first thing. The the second thing is this. You know, I like to make things short enough to write down, but I just couldn't with this one, all right? So you're just going to have to write it, all right? A selfish heart is proud and makes unrealistic assumptions about its own abilities. That's the defining mark of a self. It's proud and it makes unrealistic assumptions about its own abilities. A servant heart is humble and therefore makes realistic acknowledgments of its own weaknesses and limits. So a selfish heart is proud and makes unrealistic assumptions about its own abilities. A servant heart is humble and makes realistic acknowledgments of its own weaknesses and limits. So look what happens next. So Jesus hears the request, and he says immediately, you do not know what you are asking, which is a great phrase to always remember in your prayer life, right? That sometimes you're asking for something, and Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking for, you know? You don't actually want to marry that person to be a disaster, you know? Like, you don't actually want that promotion. You're going to hate it. You don't actually want this, you know? You don't know what you're asking, And you just want to take that phrase and shove it in your back pocket when you get confused about the way God sometimes responds. Because sometimes Jesus is saying this, and you need to listen to him. When you ask, he says, you don't don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. 
He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And get this, okay. He says, are you able to do what I do? And they say, we are able. I mean, get what's happening here. Jesus is like, can you do what I do? Can you carry the load that I can carry? And they're straight up like, yeah, got it, you know? Put it on my shoulders, the weight of the world, you know? We are able, they say, which is those three words have to be three of the most prideful that are spoken in the Bible. Jesus said to them, okay, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And so Jesus now is kind of pulling this out of them because he confronts them with this idea. He says, listen, can you, can you carry what I can carry? Can you do what I can do? And obviously they're a little bit unsure, unsure of exactly what Jesus means by that, but they're making a huge assumption to say, well, yeah, we are able. And obviously Jesus is talking about, look, um, the baptism which I'm, is the sacrifice for sin. I'm going to go pay for the sins of the world. I'm going to die on a cross, and I'm literally going to be the Savior of the world. That's the reality here. Now, they're going to join him in, the, in being suffering for God. They're going to join him in the way, but they're certainly not going to uphold the same things he is upholding. And so he reveals this to them, and he says, basically, can you carry what I can carry? Can you do what I can do? And they say, we are able. And now, because they have a proud heart, they make an unrealistic assumption about their own abilities. Right? It's like every contestant on American Idol. It's like every person that tries out for the basketball team, you know. It's like every parent who ever watched their kid play sports. They all have an unrealistic assumption about the abilities. Where it doesn't match up. Your kid's not playing because they're not good. That's why, you know. The coach wants to win the game. I mean, what do you think he's trying to do? You think he wants to lose? If they were better, they would be playing more, you know? Like, and I'm sure there are exceptions, okay? I'm sure. I'm sure there are exceptions. But, you know, it's like, no, that, it's unrealistic assumption. You think the coach wants to lose every game? Let me play the worst players. I'm going to leave the best players on the bench, you know? Like, uh, I don't think that's what they're thinking, okay? Uh, and so this is how it is, you know? And you see that on American Idol. They get up there, and they're like, yeah, I'm the best. I do this and that. And they're like, oh, you know? And it's awful. It'd be like if I get up, like, I'm going to be the worship leader now. You'd be like, Nate, hey, 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 know your role. Know your role, you know? Like, don't do that, right? They're they, they they beginning to make unrealistic assumptions, Jesus says, can you carry what I can carry? Can you do what I can do? And they say, we are able. And it makes me think of one time we were carrying this dumb, this big 30 by 10 tent. Okay, it's down there. It's huge. You know, it's got like these, it's, I don't know what shape that is. A rectangle. It's a rectangle, and it's big. And you know what? The wheels on it are literally like this small, okay? They're like this big. I don't understand the designer of the tent because they didn't think about it. Uh, the wheels are not big enough to uphold the weight of the tent, all right? They're not. And so it breaks, and now it's all a problem. You have to carry it. It doesn't work very good. Well, duh, because the tent's like 50 pounds, and the wheels are like for a little toy truck, you know? Like, who thought of this? This doesn't make any sense. But that's exactly what it's like when we think we can run our own life or make decisions that are going to be good for us or use our wisdom our intelligence, our abilities to lead and guide our life, it's crazy. We're just really small wheels on a big tent of our life, unable to actually uphold the realities of the world around us. And this, the earlier and the more often this gets exposed, the better off you're going to be. You think exposure is a bad thing. It's a gift from God to say you need bigger wheels on your tent. And as a matter of fact, why don't you use my wheels <laughs> called the Bible. This is how you should live your life. 
This is good for us when Jesus exposes them, but they make unrealistic exemptions. The opposite of this is somebody who's humble and a real servant is quick to acknowledge their weaknesses and limits. They have no problems whatsoever referencing the fact that they are unable to do such a task or not equipped to lead in this way or not sure of exactly what to do. They are quick to be humble and to say, man, I really need the mercy of God every moment of every day. And because of their humility, not only do they make realistic acknowledgments of their own weaknesses and limits, but because they're aware of their own limits, they are quick to give grace to others. Why do you get so frustrated when people fall short, are weak, and unable? It's because you have an unrealistic assumption that you could do better. You have an unrealistic assumption that there are not areas in your life where you are just as weak and unable to change. And the reason we're so quick to judge is because we haven't done a good assessment of our own weaknesses and limits. And as soon as we realize, Jesus says, are you able to carry what I can carry? And we say, no, oh my goodness, no, like not a second, you know, are you able to carry your own life? No, it's a disaster. Are you able to parent these children? I have no idea what I'm doing. Are you able to lead a church? I have no idea. Are you able to do it? No, no, I don't know. I don't know. You know, as soon as we're quick to do that, not only does the Lord come in and say, okay, good, I'm here to help you and lead you, but when someone else is like, man, I fall short, I don't know. You're like, yeah, me too. Instead of being like, how could you? This is the spirit of the real servant. It's like, yo, you're a mess, me too, man. Thank the Lord for his mercy. And the reason why there's judgment in your heart is because you're not living within your own limits and weaknesses. You're not quick to acknowledge those. You're trying to hide them. You're trying to make the best of them when it would be better just to say, no, I am not able So the third thing, a selfish heart creates division, but a servant heart creates unity. So this is how these are related. Look at this. So remember, attitudes lead to actions. If we want to be the light in the world and to be unified as a group, we have to be humble in our heart. Look what happens, verse 41. When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. So what is it, what, what produced division in the midst of these 12 disciples that had been living so closely and experiencing such amazing things with Jesus, they should be bonded beyond all belief, yet now two of them decide to try to create more prominence and status for themselves. They go the way of selfishness, not servanthood, and it doesn't just affect their own relationship with God, it affects their relationship with others. The dividing mark in this group of people is now the pride of James and John. And I think it's funny because they're probably not mad at them because they asked. They're mad at them because they asked first. Peter's over there like, nah, man, that's me. I'm the number one disciple, you know? How are you going to ask for that? He's not like, no, I'm down here at 12. No, no, no. They're all just indignant because they all want the same thing. And how dare you ask that, you know? When in their hearts, they're like, yeah, I would ask the same thing. You just got there first. You just got there first. <laughs> this is what's happening. And so it creates division. It creates disunity. It creates problems within the, the life of the, the group and the team. 
don't know how many of you follow sports, but it reminds me of, you know, when Draymond Green, he punched Jordan Poole this week. I don't know how many of you are watching. It's a team. It's a basketball team. They just won the championship last year. Everything was great. All the reports were like, yeah, we love each other so much. Uh, and then this video comes out where one of the most important players in the team punches one of the other most important players in the team. And now there's this huge fallout. So instead of them enjoying just playing ball and enjoying each other and having, having a good culture, now the only thing anybody is dealing with is the division in the camp. Why? Because all 15 of them were fighting? No, because one guy chose to punch another one. This is the same is true with us to say my behavior with one of you or your behavior with one of the other person can actually weed its way through the whole group. You understand that? Your bitterness towards one other person at this church affects the whole body. The devil loves to act like, okay, your sins are just between you and God or just you and the other person. No, 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 no. Remember the theology of this. If we're the body of Christ, I'm connected to you, right? So I'm a finger and, and you're the leg and, I, and we're all got different parts of the body, right? Then your reality affects my reality, right? If my finger hurts, my whole body feels that. And so for you to act like your personal issues with someone else don't affect the entire group is a complete lie from the devil to keep you in the same situation, you and I, as members of the body, who are not dependent on an amazing Sunday service or on a few people doing a few things really well. No, 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 that's not how this thing works. We're dependent on one another to just love Jesus, to practice the way of God, to pray and to love God, and to love one another, and to serve each other, and to be involved in each other's lives, and to listen to the word of God, and to serve our community. And we're all doing this together. Then your relationships with one another matter just as much as any other aspect of this church. And because of the certain things that happen, then we're so quick, this can create division. We have to be careful. Here's something for you to write down is that selfishness destroys togetherness. Unity requires humility. Selfishness destroys togetherness. And unity requires humility. This is why we call volunteers servant leaders. We're always trying to understand this aspect of the Christian walk. So now you should test your own life and heart to say, like, where you normally show up or in the rooms and spaces and the relationships that you're in, does your presence bring unity or does it create division? You should consider in your own life and heart what happens when you show up. So a selfish heart creates division, but a servant heart creates unity. Here's the next one. A selfish heart wants to dominate, but a servant heart just wants to participate. So Jesus called to them and he said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. A selfish heart seeks out authority and power for their own purposes. A servant heart uses authority and power for the purposes of blessing others. You see that? A selfish heart wants authority. A servant heart uses the authority it has. There's a big difference. A selfish heart tries to get in a position of power, like James and John. A servant heart, if it stumbles into a position of power and influence, quickly uses it to bless and serve others. See the difference? And just think about for a second in your life how often you're trying to get to the top. It's so natural for us. When we look here and look at someone else, you know, be looking at each other and be like, man, we're looking at ourselves to be like, this is innate within me that the Lord is going to be working on our entire lives is that I want to be great and the Lord's like no that's not how this works the only person that gets to be great is God and everybody else just gets to be a, be a part of his greatness 
A selfish heart wants to dominate. A selfish heart loves authority. A selfish heart loves power. A selfish heart loves influence. A selfish heart is always looking at how many followers they have on Instagram. A selfish heart is always trying to accumulate the masses. A selfish heart is always trying to seek a position of power. A servant heart will use a position of power for the good of other people. A selfish heart wants to dominate. They want to be in control at all costs. A servant heart just wants to participate. Hey, can I just play? Can I be a part of what God is doing? What do you want me to do? What is there to do? I'll do anything. I can't believe I'm here right now. You know, like, I'm in the kingdom of God. Hey, you know, sign me up as whatever, you know. This is great. I'm in the kingdom. Praise the Lord. What do you want me to do? You know, this is what David says in Psalm 84. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than anywhere else. Like, just sign me up. I don't care. I'm in the kingdom of God. You know, it's like, it's like when you go to the best team, you're like, I know I'm not Steph Curry. I'm just glad to be here. What do you want me to do? I get to get a ring, you know? It's called ring chasers. It's because you just go to the best team. You're like, I don't have to do anything. I just be, I'm just here, you know? What do you mean do? Tie your shoes? Great, I'll do that. I get a ring at the end of this. You know, that's, that's what it's like to be like, I, I cannot believe that I get to be a part of this. I get to be a part of the church, you know? I get to be a part of the family of God. I get to go to heaven one day. Like, I mean, what else do I need? Like, why would I be seeking anything else? Like, nope, I get to be a part of this. Sign me up. What do you want me to do? I'll do anything. I'm here, you know? That's the attitude, as opposed to all of us trying to continue to build some kingdom. We're not building any kingdom. It's God's kingdom. We're living in it. God said, I will build my church. He didn't say, you will build my church. It's God's world. It's God's kingdom. It's God's family. We're just like, yo, I get to be a part of it? Great. That's enough for me. That's enough. Great. I cannot believe I'm here. So sign me up. This is the attitude of the Christian, not just like in church function life, but just everywhere. It's like, I cannot believe this is my reality. I'll do anything. I'm just glad I'm, I'm just glad to be here, you know, just glad to be here. And that should be the attitude of all of us is all, I'm just glad to be here, you know, sitting in my life. I'm just glad to be here. I can't believe I get to gather with other Christians when people around the world have to hide in, under the ground, you know, to get with one other person to read their Bible. I'm sitting here like, whoa. Like, this is amazing. I can't believe I have a Bible. I have a Bible in my language, and I know how to read it. Wow! You know, like, I, you should be waking up. I can't believe it. I just can't believe I get to read my Bible. Holy smokes. Half the world can't even read, and I get to read? And I have the Bible in my language? There's people all over the world that have the Bible in their language. Just like, I'm here. I'm just glad to be a part of it. Just glad. I, just, I get to serve someone else. I'm in a position where I get to serve and bless. I, what? Why would that be me? Why would I not be the one that's hungry every day? There's, okay, great. You know, like, I'm just glad to be here. Just glad to be here. I'm glad to be blessed in the ways that I'm blessed. I'm glad to be living in the kingdom of God. I'm glad to be a part of the family of God. I'm glad to have brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm glad to have a Bible. I'm glad to have breath. I'm just glad to be here. Just glad to be here. Isn't that the attitude? He says, a selfish heart wants to dominate, but a servant heart wants to participate. You should go everywhere this week and just say, I'm just glad to be here. You know, even at the job that you hate, which pays the bills that you need to pay. It could be worse. I'm just glad to be here. I can't believe I woke up this morning. 
God is so gracious to me. I'm just glad to be here. The next thing, a selfish heart seeks to be great in the eyes of men, but a servant heart seeks to be great in the eyes of God. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great must be your servant, and whoever would be first must be slave of all. So Jesus is saying, I understand your desire, James and John, to be great. You did it the wrong way. The way to greatness in the kingdom of God is not to come to God and ask for status. The way to greatness is to go to people and serve them. That's what he does. just the pathway he lays out. The path to greatness is the road of servanthood in the kingdom of God. What's important for us, especially as believers in Jesus, those of you who are following Jesus in the room and watching online, is that you cannot live in the kingdom of God by the principles of the kingdom of the world. You can't do that. It's not going to work. You're just going to be frustrated all the time. So the kingdom of the world says you get greatness by going to the top. Be the most famous. Have the most money. Have the most success. Be the number one guy. Be the number one woman. Be the top. Get to the, get to the top and you'll be great. That's how the world works. That's how you are being discipled every day. You think like that more than you were probably willing to admit. Because you're just living in the world. That's what the world does. And... But we're not world people. We're kingdom of God people. And he says the principle of greatness in the kingdom of God is actually flipped upside down. Uh, and if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you have to go low. If you want to be great, it is the road of servanthood and humility. Listen, the reason so many of you get discouraged in your Christian life is because you're seeking worldly approval for your Christian behavior. It's just not going to work. I'm just here. The world is not going to, hey, for your Christian behavior. The world doesn't honor meekness. They think you're weak. And you're like, I'm just so tired of being meek. Well, of course you are, because you're asking the world to clap for your Christian life. You want worldly recognition and acknowledgement. By taking the road of Jesus, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. The reason you're so discouraged is because you want the world to clap for your attempts to be holy. It's not going to work. It's just not going to happen. You can't live in the kingdom of God by the, by the principles of the world, and you cannot expect the world to approve and to think you're awesome for living within the kingdom of God by the principles of Jesus. It's totally different. And the reason why we get so discouraged is because we just honestly, at the root level, do not care enough what God thinks. If you're just being honest, you're like, you know, just be honest with yourself, okay? We're all just a mess. We need Jesus. He loves you so much. This is why he died for you, okay? So don't try to pretend like you're something you're not. Jesus didn't die for who you pretend to be. He didn't die for the best of you. He didn't die for you to hide your weaknesses. He died for everything that you have messed up and every piece of sin in my heart. Jesus came and he died and he cleared my debt and praise be to his name. So what in the world is the point of me not being honest with myself? What's the point? How am I going to make any spiritual progress? Just consider how much you actually think. What does God think about this? How much do you even have that thought? Does this please the Lord? Does that thought enter our minds, you know, that much? Are we thinking about what other people think and what other, even what other Christians might think? 
We get so discouraged because we're not getting our approval from God when he's ready to give it to us. He's just like, I love you. I'm so proud of you. He loves you so much. He's so, he's so excited and encouraged by your little steps of progress. Even your admonition, I mean, your, your, your admission of your own weaknesses. He's like, yeah. Who's going to clap for you when you say, I'm terrible? Well, God is. He's like, yeah. And I love you so much, and you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and you're made in the image of God, and you're special to me. And yeah, you have sin, and you are a mess, but that's the reason I came and died for you. I love you. But the world's not going to clap for that. You're like, man, what was me? I have limits. You can't expect me to be this awesome person. The world's going to be like, okay, well, move on. Who's the next awesome person for me? And then you're discouraged, like, ah. Oh. And how do you get the approval of God? Well, first you have to believe and trust in Jesus. You can't get the approval of God. Only Jesus can give you God's approval. He died for your sin, and he rose from the grave so that God could look at you and say, you're mine, and I love you, and so that your sin could be taken care of. And some of you, that's got to be your first step with God today is to say, the only way I get the approval of God is first and foremost to trust in the work and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that I can be made right with God. But there's so many of you in the room as well who know the Lord. How do you walk in the approval of God is you walk in communion with God. The reason why you're not asking what does God think is because you're not spending time with him. The reason why what he thinks doesn't matter as much to you is because you're not walking in communion with him. The closer you are to God, the more you're going to care about what he thinks. And the less discouraged you will be because as you choose the way of Jesus, nobody's going to clap for you, but God will. And ideally, hopefully, if we're doing it right as the brothers and sisters Christ, we are encouraging you on. We should be the first to say, thank you so much for confessing that sin. Boy, I'm a mess too. Let's work on this together. That's awesome. I'm so proud of you for bringing that into the light. That's great, man. Praise the Lord for your honesty. That should be the kind of thing. We're clapping that on. I see you. I see you mowing. I see you doing all that. I see you, I see you cleaning up the floors. I see you. I see you doing things that nobody seems to care about or notice. I see you. Man, that's awesome. Praise the Lord for your humility and your servanthood. That should be normal in us, where we praise those kind of things. You should walk around just praising people for doing things that nobody seems to notice. That should be consistent in us. Okay. Here we go. A selfish heart seeks only what it can get, but a servant heart seeks what it can give away. Verse 45, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, who deserves all he wants to get and has every right and authority to demand getting it any way he wants, chooses the path of giving away. Jesus, who has every right to get what he wants in any way that he wants, chose the path of giving away as a means to getting the end goal, which is the people of God. And so we follow his example. Finally, a selfish heart clouds the gospel, but a servant heart clarifies the gospel. This is ultimately the point. How do we shine as lights in the world? How do we make the love of Jesus clear? How do we show people what God is really like? How does that happen? Well, a group of people who have a servant heart will be a group of people who clarify the gospel. It's like all of us together gathering in spaces and lighthouses and throughout the world are like when somebody comes in, it's like we give them 3D glasses to see the world as it really is. But the more selfishness and, and, and selfish pursuits we have in our hearts, the more we cloud the glasses 
You know, it's like when you, when you get your glasses out uh, and you, you were in the shower where you get your glasses out, you know, and you put, anybody does this and you put your glasses on right away, you can't see nothing. You can't, everything's foggy and you can't see anything in front of you because your glasses have that fog on them like a mirror uh, and you can't see anything. And that's how it can be if somebody walks into a group of Christians and it's like, there's just disunity and they're fighting about things, whatever. It's just, it just clouds the gospel. So for us to really be a light in the world means that we must be a servant group of people. This is the way of Jesus, and this is the way of Jesus that he's chosen for you, for even the Son of Man, who deserves every bit of praise and honor and glory, chose not to be served, but to serve. And if we are not greater than him, which we are not, then we certainly ought not to choose a different path than he chose. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We pray now that you would help us become more like Jesus in every way that you would guide our thinking and our habits, Lord, that our internal attitudes would continue to be formed into your image and that we would shine as lights in the world because we have become more like you. Make us a group of servants. Thank you, Lord, for this group of servants here at City Light. Thank you for the servant heart that is already here. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifices everyone makes, Lord, to make this happen. And I pray now that you would continue to help us to grow, uh, to continue to move from selfishness to servant hearts so that we can shine as lights in the world for you. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.